So you've done really well working so hard, but don't forget to love each other. You've done well on the one hand, but on the other hand, there's something that's not quite so good. Sounds a bit like a school report, doesn't it? And what do you concentrate on, the good bits or the bad bits, or do you try and take a bit of both? Jonathan is going to come and expand on what we've heard read to us this morning. But before he does that, um, I'm going to ask him to come up to the front, and we're just going to pray. We're going to pray that God would speak through Jonathan... And we're going to pray that God would speak to each and every one of us, wherever we are, wherever you're sitting, whether you're in your lounge or in your dining room or kitchen, or perhaps you're watching this and you're out and about in the countryside, right where you are just now, we're going to pray that God would speak to you and through his Holy Spirit change your life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that it is your word. It is literally a letter that starts, Dear Church, and ends with love from God. And we thank you that every bit of it is there to help us to learn to become more like you. We thank you that even though it was written thousands of years ago to people in a very different part of the world, it is still real and it is still powerful and it is relevant to our lives. And we pray this morning that as Jonathan speaks that you would speak through him. He would be, as it were, your voice, your, your mouthpiece this morning. And through him, you would speak into our lives. Heavenly Father, would you take this reading from the Bible, from your word, and help through it, uh, help us to become more like you every day and in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Jonathan, over to you. Okay. Thank you, David. It uh, makes me feel a little bit like a, like a postman, like a spiritual postman, delivering a letter, like that letter that was sent to Church Farm earlier. But it's a privilege to just bring this message. We don't get many letters, do we, these days, if you're anything like me, in this electronic age of emails and texts and tweets. But do you get many physical letters? I don't mean bills and appeals and junk mail, but real, personal, individual letters. And if so, who do these come from? Is it from the taxman, the bank, the doctor? Well, I guess the ones you appreciate most come from those who are nearest and dearest to you, from friends and family members. Maybe you're even fortunate enough to receive love letters. Well, imagine if you got a real meaningful letter from the King of Kings, from the Lord of Lords. Well, as David said, that's exactly what Christians believe this is, whether electronic or printed like this one, the Bible is, Christians believe, a library of books from God, containing all types of, of writings, history and poetry and prophecy, and yes, letters. General guidance for all, but living and active, because the one who wrote them is alive and well, and wants to meet you through his word. He seeks to apply the word of God 
by the Holy Spirit. If only we have ears to hear and wills to obey. But I fully accept that parts of the Bible are are more challenging than others and uh, certain truths contained within its covers are, are, are difficult to grasp. But as somebody said, it's not the bits of the Bible I don't understand that are hard. It's the bits that I do understand and fail to put into practice. And here we find ourselves in the book of Revelation, right at the end of the Bible. The the Bible which, the book of the Bible which uses perhaps more vivid imagery and uh, amazing picture language than any other. And yet, the message is simple. And the message this morning is simple. Return to Jesus. The aged Apostle John, exiled to the Isle of Patmos, has received a series of unfolding visions from the Lord himself. And yes, he does use uh, what is to us unfamiliar, uh, apocalyptic writing. John is obedient in writing and recording what he sees. And it speaks past, present and future. At the end of that first chapter of of, uh, Revelation, John is told to write down what he has seen, what is now and what he will see later. And so, just like the kingdom of God itself, the message is ever topical and vital for us to consider. There's much within this portion of scripture which is both now and not yet. And perhaps the, uh, the, the clearer and less open to interpretation then the later chapters are these two that we're in, in this church over the next few weeks, chapters 2 and 3. Coming straight from Jesus himself via John in the power of the Spirit, these late first century epistles were addressed to seven specific Christian churches throughout the Roman province of Asia Minor. Typical examples of various churches down through the ages ever since those days highlighting what can be good about a church and where it fails. And it's important for us to see that these types of churches exist even today uh, in our own day and generation, as much as they did in the early days of the church. And I found the introductory talks from David and from Bruce very helpful, as I'm sure you have. And over the coming weeks, you'll see that each of Jesus' letters to the churches follow a similar pattern, incorporating within them divine observations and judgments and comments spoken over each church. The first of these is, as you know, Ephesus. Now, Ephesus in modern-day Turkey was one of the great cities of the ancient world. Within its boundaries were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the imposing Temple of Artemis, to the, erected to the goddess Diana. And while much of the rest of the history of Ephesus is shrouded in mystery, what is clear is, back in the day, it was an exceptionally wealthy and influential port city at the heart of trading and commerce and, and government and culture, and its power was envied around the then known world. So it was a prominent and significant place, and I would make comparisons with Pangbury, But you know that it is where we are. And it's against this background that the infant church at Ephesus, surrounded as it was by paganism, mythology and superstition, by the grace of God, grew rapidly. Founded by the Apostle Paul, it had other key 
leaders well known in the scriptures. We can read of Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos and Timothy. And Paul's letter, his rich letter, Ephesians, obviously that letter, an epistle in the New Testament, was written specifically to this Christian community, probably only about 35 years or so before this short letter here in Revelation. And it's this message addressed to the angel at the church in Ephesus that we just want to consider for just a few minutes. The use of the word angel here can also be translated as messenger. And remember the seven stars held in Jesus' hands can be seen as the appointed leader of each church or group of leaders or as a church's guardian angel or it may simply be a literary device symbolising the character of the church in question. I reckon it's all of the above but it's It's whatever it is, never forget, it's Jesus speaking to his whole church, addressing them, holding them in his hands. I love the the motto of the the Bible college that I went to. It was et tenio et tenior, and both I'm held and I hold. And we are held by Jesus. The churches are held In his hand. He walks among the churches. He's present. He's interested. He knows. And we gain a real flavour of specific churches and similar ones just by a simple, straightforward reading of the scripture. Just seven short verses, as we've seen. Little detail, no waffle, unlike my granddad. Leslie, with an I-E, not the Leslie I'm married to, Leslie, L-E-Y, but hey, I'll come back to that maybe. There is, it's a simple, straightforward, no waffle, precisely the right amount of content to cut to the heart. The letters are written in a familiar format and we could introduce it in modern day terms as by a name, the Ephesus, but by character. The title I've been given is Dear Hardworking. As you know, if you were to have a letter and it was written to you as your character, I wonder how people would address you. I'll leave that for you to ponder. It's clear that this particular congregation in Ephesus did not shirk hard work. And Jesus both acknowledges this and praises them for it. It's just sad it's not the whole story, isn't it? And you'll see that the content of this brief letter divides into three. First, there's commendation. Then, there's the criticism. And it leads to choice. Warning, reward, as a consequence. The church's choice. Your choice. Return to Jesus. Dear hardworking, I love the quote which says, when it comes to hard work, some turn up their sleeves, some turn up their noses, and some don't turn up at all. You see, as somebody observed, hard work fascinates me. I could watch it for hours. Or maybe you've heard the, 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 the phrase, hard work never hurt anybody, but why take chances? But many of you will know that work is not necessarily a laughing matter, presumably at the moment. 
The lack of it can cause untold pain. There are extremes, aren't there, both within and outside the NHS and in the wider community where some are exhausted, they're they're rushed off their feet. They don't know which way to turn without the resources or the energy to cope. And yet there are others facing the very real challenge of furlough and the painful threat of and reality of redundancy. And you need to know that you're a human being, not a human doing. That God loves you for who you are. Whether you're one extreme or the other or somewhere in between, Jesus knows and loves you and he calls you back to himself. There's plenty of good stuff going on in the church in Ephesus. Plenty of good stuff going on in this church, I know. Lockdown or no lockdown. And take comfort in knowing that Jesus sees every act. Others may not recognise what you do. Others may not appreciate the pressures you're under within the church and outside of it. But Jesus does. And you can be really reassured by that. Jesus himself says, There is nothing in secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not come to light. God was, is, and always will be omniscient, all-knowing, all-seeing. Truly he is an unchanging God in these changing times. He's well aware of the church, of the churches that he walks among. He knows the good and praiseworthy deeds, but he also knows the not so good motives, the sinfulness too, and he loves us too much to leave us in it. This Ephesian church is a serving, sacrificing, steadfast church, and Jesus praises them for it. He praises them for all their effort and their hard work. The Greek word that's used about endurance is a steadfast uh, endurance. They've worked and not become weary. They've endured all sorts of struggles and troubles, but they've not become weary. We're specifically told that in verse 3. And this echoes your verse for the year, I believe. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. The contemporary English version says they will gain new strength. Mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not grow faint. Dear hard-working, good deeds, hard work, and more than that, this church knew a false teacher when it heard one. Later on, Jesus specifically commends the fact they had no truck with the practices of the Nicolaitans. Now, scholars seem to be divided as to exactly what, or unsure as to what their the particular problems were, but there are heretical beliefs and actions that took the focus away from the simple, original gospel of Jesus Christ and infiltrating the churches, but not this one. They recognised it and they heard it. And I, I remember how uh, I've been told that the best way for a bank clerk to, to recognise counterfeit money and currency is not to learn all the different fake types of, of notes, but to become familiar with the real thing, the genuine article. And the same is true spiritually. There are going to be lots of people who distort and twist the truth for different reasons and come in with different ideas and interpretations. And if we know the gospel, if we know the the Lord of the gospel, then we'll be able to recognise and not be led, led astray 
Perhaps this church in Ephesus had taken to heart what Paul had warned them of when he said that after he'd gone, that savage wolves would come in among you and not spare the flock. John, in his epistle, reminds us not to believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they're of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We can learn from this too in our day and generation. But there is lots of praise, lots of good things, hard work, good deeds. There's loads of good stuff that's being done by churches in, even in this lockdown time. There's an awful lot of sound doctrine, which is great and to be encouraged. But after the praise comes the criticism. Jesus says in verse 5, Yet I have this against you. That's a bit of an alert. What's he going to say? There may be eight or nine positive statements But oh dear, one major problem. At the very heart of this passage, this verse 4 of 7, you have forsaken your first love. This church has abandoned, has left, has neglected its first love. Can I ask you a personal question? Have you? I don't know your individual circumstance. It was quite interesting that David asking me about my involvement with the church here in, in uh, DCC. And yeah, I, I came before I was born because my mum was pregnant with me. And then I stayed and I was dedicated in the church and uh, baptised uh, Easter Day on 1985 in the church uh, and uh, at Ackland Road. Served there until I met my first wife, my first love, in uh, Ackland Road Church. We, we left just before I was about 30, and we went, as David said, to, to Weymouth. So, and, and I'd had that, that history before me of my dad and mum who served within the church for many years, and my granddad before before them as David's already said but it's not our heritage that's important it's not what we once did but we can look back can't we this is what Jesus says you've forsaken your first love think about when you first fell in love think about those of you who are married remember how nothing was too much you'd do anything to be together it's often been said when a bloke opens the car door for a girl, either the car or the girlfriend is new. But the truth is, it's difficult to keep that spark going. And I've been married nearly 15 years, and it is hard, to, without careful effort, to keep that intensity of love which fades over time. Song of Songs, and many of the Psalms will confirm this, but I'm not thinking just of romantic love, and I don't think that John was in this letter the same is so often spiritually true. Can you remember the first time you gave your life to the Lord? How it felt, everything new and exciting. Nothing was too much trouble. You'd be diving into the Bible every opportunity, off to prayer meetings, meeting with like-minded believers, trying to grow in your faith. And yet so many other things can come in and crowd that out. Even good things, 
so that we no longer have that burning spiritual desire to please the Lord. Sometimes, sadly, without us even realising it often, our church involvement can be reduced to mere solemn duty rather than springing from spiritual devotion. Things can take our gaze from our Saviour, which is why it's so important to come back to Jesus, return to Jesus I was reminded of the chapter that is well known. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm in a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give my body to the flames but do not have love, I gain nothing. A famous passage in 1 Corinthians 13 goes on and describes the very nature of love, the very nature of Jesus, the one who loved us first. We love him because he first loved us. He loved us and gave himself for us. And Jesus, when asked what the most important commandment was, said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And love your neighbour as you love yourself. The two go together in hand in hand. We can't say we, we love God and hate, and hate our brother and see a person in need and not help them. Similarly, we can't just go and help uh, other people and neglect our first love. And that's the danger. It's a, it's a difficult balance. And I know you're blessed with Roger as your pastor in this church. And I know his heart is really just to engage with the community and to share the love of God as as portrayed in Jesus Christ in his sacrifice. I've chosen as our closing song for the for the band to worship uh, to lead us in or not to, to lead you at home in but uh, for us to to listen to is matt redmond's song that's what i'm trying to get at it's written by the author of this of the closing hymn uh, wrote it uh, back in 1999 it's a new song to me really but it, it's it was written um when in his church his pastor mike pilavacci of soul survivor fame Suddenly so thought that perhaps everything was crowded in too much, all the, the, the musical excellence and the technical ability. And he, he took the brave step of standing the, the worship team down. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and putting the, uh, the technical stuff on one side. And they just worshipped within the congregation and uh, unaccompanied. And gradually it grew up. They, they came back to the heart of worship back to the love of Jesus. And from that, they were able to reintroduce the, the instruments. And, and, and that's what came to mind. And I had to re-look up that story to find out what was happened because the heart of the message to, to the church in Ephesus and to this church, in fact, to any church, is come back to your first love. Have we left our first love? And I think of how I was a new young believer yes idealistic maybe naive certainly but what i wouldn't give for some of that early fervor to come back 
I was privileged uh, about 18 months ago to go to the Philippines and to uh, visit some uh, children who'd been rescued from the streets and were being uh, cared for uh, on a farm away from the centre of the city. And and imagine my surprise when they got me up at four o'clock in the morning for the worship time. And about 20 young guys stood there with guitar and praise and worship, crying out to God, knowing where they'd been rescued from, praying before they did their chores for the day, before they went off to school at about 6 a.m. That challenged me. When do I get up for that? Now, maybe the early in the morning's not your best time. There's nothing magic about the time. One of the benefits of this lockdown uh, time is that we can we can sort of change our, uh, our calendars a bit can't we change our timetables very often adjust them to fit in but have you got that fervor that enthusiasm that you once have because dear hard worker can quickly become dear lost love and then the challenge after the commendations and the criticism comes that choice the consequences of our response to the spirit of god and what he's saying to the church if, a, if the warning's not heeded, the removal of the lampstand. If the right action is taken, we can partake of the tree of life. What should we do? Consider how far we've fallen. Look back to our first love. Not to live in the past, no way. But to remind ourselves, those of us who come to the Lord, repent and turn back, return to him worship him but maybe you can't return to jesus because you've never been to him in the first place you can't return to someone you've never come to if you've never received jesus as your savior then when better than now don't put it off why not recognize that you can bow the knee voluntarily before a savior you can we read that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why suffer the judgment of an unchanging, holy, righteous God when you can know his life-giving forgiveness and salvation full and free right now? That freedom. And I know Roger often says it's as easy as ABC. You admit you're a sinner in need of a saviour. Believe that Jesus is that saviour. And died and rose again. And confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. For there is a heaven to be gained and a hell to be shunned. And these are serious spiritual matters. And Jesus knows what you need. And Jesus knows where you're at. Reflection and repentance leads to restoration. But a refusal to return doesn't bear thinking about a removal of the lampstand. So you may have questions, and if you do, then please do contact the church here, and uh, we'll talk about things further. I'd be glad to. But it's with utmost urgency we must return to our first love. So why don't you act in a way, make a decision to respond in a particular way. You could even write a letter, couldn't you? You could even write a letter to Jesus in response to his. 
Express yourself, express your heart in whichever way you see. As we come to the end of this little message, let's not make the mistake of the church in Ephesus. There's nothing there, nothing there to be seen. Just a, um, it's just the ruins. A timely lesson for us all. Let's keep this message in mind and not be so busy working that we forget our first love. Worship him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Amen.